fast cars, flashy clothes, big money, heavy players, and the hot Miami scene. These were the main ingredients that made Miami Vice one of the most innovative shows of the 1980s. Journey with Tim and Mark as we take a peek into the drama series with an MTV feel on the Vice of Miami podcast. Welcome back, Vice fans, to the Vice of Miami podcast for show number 15. We hope you enjoyed the last episode of Vice of Miami covering Golden Triangle Part 1 score. Sit back, relax, and grab a favorite beverage and an egg roll and enjoy this episode covering Season 1, Episode 14 of Miami Vice, Golden Triangle Part 2. This episode's written by Maurice Hurley and Michael Mann, directed by David Anspaugh, and the original air date, January 18th, 1985. And here's the plot summary covering Golden Triangle Part 2. Castillo must protect his former wife from his adversary, Lao Li, who has arrived in Miami to continue his drug operations. And that music brings us to the guest stars and co-stars for this particular episode of Miami Vice. Tim, take it away. All right, Mark. The first guest star is Kie Luke as Lao Li. Luke was born in Guangzhou, China. The family later moved to Seattle, Washington, where Luke would eventually become a naturalized American citizen in 1944. Before his acting career, Luke was an artist who worked on some of the murals inside of Grumman's Chinese Theater. In 1934, he made his acting debut in The Painted Veil. In 1935, Luke received his first notable role as the number one son in the Charlie Chan series of movies, where, which he played in until 1938. One of his most recognized voice roles was providing the voice of Zoltar in the hit animated series, Battle of the Planets. Luke was reportedly considered for the role of Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Luke was married to Ethel Davis from 1942 until her death in 1979. They had one daughter, Ethel. Luke died from a stroke on January 12, 1991, at the age of 86. Next up, we have Peter Kwong as the second grandson. Born in 1953 in L.A., California, Wong's career started in 1977 with his first TV appearance in Baba Black Sheep. Followed up by appearances in the series Wonder Woman, Man from Atlantis, Cagney and Lacey, Dynasty, Beauty and the Beast, Jag, The District, and numerous other TV shows. In the movies, Kwong appeared in Never Too Young to Die, Coming to America, I'll Do Anything, in his most recent film, Love Sanchez, in 2016. He also played Dr. Hyang S. Nagar in the stage production of The Survivor, a Cambodian's Odyssey. Not much else is known about Kwong other than he's still listed as active in acting. Our next guest star is Kevin Gray as the first grandson. 
He was born February 25th, 1958, and died February 11th, 2013. He was an American film and stage actor and singer. He made his film debut on Miami Vice. He has had a long career on the stage, performing in the plays Jesus Christ Superstar, The King and I, Shu Chem, Miss Saigon, and The Phantom of the Opera, as well as many regional performances. During his Broadway ones, he found time to appear on The Equalizer, Law & Order SVU, and his most recent TV appearance, Law & Order Criminal Intent. He recorded a CD of Broadway tunes, It's My Time to Shine, in 2008. Some of the songs were written by Gray and Dodie Petit. In 2011, Gray took on the position of Associate Professor of Theater at the Hart School at the University of Hartford. Gray met his wife, Dodie Petit, during production of The Phantom of the Opera. Petit appeared in Cats, one of Broadway's longest-running plays, and they remained married until his death from a heart attack on February 11, 2013, two weeks before his 55th birthday, and they had no children. Next up is John Santucci as Dale Menton. John Louis Chavon, born November 8, 1940, was an American actor known as John Santucci. He also appeared in Vice episodes Lombard and Jack of All Trades. Santucci was a jewel thief before he was hired by Michael Mann to appear in and be a technical advisor in the 1981 movie Thief. Mann also cast Santucci in his other 80s series, Crime Story, as mob boss Paul Taglia, then his TV movie L.A. Takedown. His other appearances were in Wise Guy and The Flash. His last recorded appearance was in 1995's Point Man. Santucci died in Chicago, Illinois, of cancer on February 22, 2004, at the age of 63. Next up, we have Joan Chen as Mai Ying. Chong Chen, born April 26, 1961, is a Chinese actress better known as Joan Chen. Chen was born in Shanghai, China. Her family immigrated to the United States in 1981, and she became a naturalized citizen in 1989. Before arriving in the U.S., she began her acting career in a number of Chinese movies from 1977 to 1981. After attending college in New York and California, she began acting and made her American TV debut in Peking Encounter, then appeared in the series Matt Houston, Knight Rider, MacGyver, in an episode called The Golden Triangle with K.A. Luke and James Saito, Twin Peaks, the TV movie Hemingway and Gellhorn, and her most recent TV role in a 2014 Netflix series, Marco Polo. Chen played her first major movie role in The Last Emperor, and her most recent movie role is the 2015 movie Cairo Declaration. Chen married actor... Jim Lau in 1985 and divorced in 1990. Then married cardiologist Peter Hui in 1992 and they have two children. She is still listed as active in acting. And we've got a special guest star, Charlie Barnett. He's reprising his role as, go ahead, say it, Tim. Say his name like you like to say it. Nugart, Neverly Lamont. Go ahead, take the co-stars here, Tim. All right, we got a couple co-stars here. James Saito as Howie Wong and Glenn Kuboto as Ma Sek, who was Ma Ying's husband. 
And now let's cover the music playing in this episode. Catch the Wind by the Blues Project, which is the opening flashback to Castillo and Maying at the beach. Water Music 2 by Fast Forward, the Vice Team Has Dinner. This is where they're having dinner. Poison Ivy by the Coasters with Nugman at the Strip Club. And Mr. Lee by the Bobettes, where Switek and Zeta were at the drive-in with their Bug Busters van. And some Jan Hammer music showing up here is Golden Triangle throughout the episode. And The Trial. That's when Lauli's grandsons are taken to the warehouse and the final shootout. All right, now we're going to do some goofs, facts, locations. We see in one, one goof that Dale Menton is shown arriving at Lauli's residence by helicopter. Yet when he leaves again, he does so in his own car. Also, when Dale Menton emerges from the helicopter, he's wearing a light gray blazer and dark trousers and carrying a brown attache briefcase. Then in the next scene, while talking business with Lao Li, he is seen wearing light gray pants, and instead of a brown briefcase, he has a black portfolio case. This next one's kind of a continuity. After Switek and Zito pull up at the diner in the bug van, they disappear in the frontal shot of the van. And now we have a location for you. 485 West Matheson Drive, Key Biscayne, which was Lao Li's home, the same location where some scenes from Scarface were shot. And the next location here, we have Flora's East Side Pizza, 731 Northeast 79th Street in Miami. It's kind of on the north end there. That's the drive-in where Switek and Zito meet Noogie. And we're going to have a picture of that on this episode's Facebook post. And then we have the Macau Restaurant, 79th Street and Biscayne Boulevard in Miami. And that was Howie Wong's Hangout. I looked it up. There's nothing there now. At CVS, I think. Maybe at Walgreens, too. There's nothing like that there. All right. The next one's another location. Uh, storage area near Southwest 2nd Avenue. That's the confrontation of Lowley and his grandsons and also the final shootout. Now let's go over the trivia portion of this episode. Last episode, we asked, back at OCB, after finding out Zarbo and the guy were killed, what did Switek say about Zarbo's death? Take a listen. Papers. He said papers. Must have been worth a whole, whole lot. Yeah, because they just didn't want to kill him. They wanted to kill him. Okay, this week's trivia question is... When Castillo and Crockett discuss the ambush in Thailand, Sonny says to Castillo that it's nuts that one federal agency would turn against the other. What was Castillo's response on that? You can post your answers on this episode's Facebook post, or you can email us at viceofmammyshow at gmail.com. We will air some of your answers. This is for fun. New prizes. Opening up the discussion portion of this episode, part two of Golden Triangle, we open to a, which was essentially a beach scene here. 
Uh, Castillo's alone on the beach. He's going out for a walk and then finally out for a swim uh, with a brief flashback to an image of his wife, who was also in the water. I'm kind of thinking, was this, Tim, do you think this whole thing, this whole scene of him swimming was actually a flashback itself, or was it just his wife that was a flashback? You know what? I think it was because in our notes for the music, where they talk, it says it talks about the flashback of Castillo with his wife in the water. So, yeah, I'm going to say that this was an actual flashback for him. Croc and Tubbs arrive unannounced at Castillo's. To me, it was a cool-looking crib. It kind of had that Asian feel to it. He was just standing, looking out over the water. And then Crockett asks him about Maying as he's picking up and looking at a picture of her. Castillo said he thought she was dead. But in reality, she's here in Miami. Crockett and Tubbs want to help him find her. But, you know, Marty's saying, you got other cases that you're on. Now, we, we can't have you go do this alone. So he eventually relents and he agrees to let them help him out. And he tells him, go track down a CIA agent, Dale Menton, who's most likely brought Lee to Miami, and he called him his rabbi, which basically, that must have been CIA speak. For associate or something like that? I Yeah, I kind of, why do you call him he, rabbi, you know? it's his, Yeah, usually a rabbi is a teacher, but mm-hmm. he's his cover man. He's the one that's How's this? Facilitator. That's a better right, word. Yeah, facilitator. There. Conciliate. No, not a conciliari. No, just a facilitator. facilitator. You know, and Castillo says that OCB isn't his own personal detective agency, which means he's only going to let them do this so long before he's going to just go out on his own. So we're over at OCB now. Trudy looks up info on the computer about Menton, Menton and it says that he's retired. And Castillo says, you're never out of the company, the company being DEA, FBI, whatever. CIA. CIA. Uh, You're never out. Trudy at first finds a P.O. box in Washington, but then does find a Miami address. And now Castillo's kind of wondering here, why is he not undercover? Why is his just name just out there for, for me to find? Now we're at the Menton home. Crockett and Tubbs pretty much were sicked on him by Castillo. Um, they're tired of tailing Metton and they scoop him up at his home where he's partying with some ladies of the night and they bring him to OCB. And then at OCB, Castillo starts just going back and forth with him. I mean, they obviously know each other and he says, who ratted the D8 out on the ambush team and my son, Tylen? Metton says that the DA was told not to interdict Laos opium as it would cause political problems for the U.S., because they wanted to still control that part of, or that, as he called it, little piece of real estate in Southeast Asia.
Uh, Minton said that he did not care one way or another if junkies in Detroit died from his opium because politically, Lao Li was uh, doing favors for them as long as they looked the other way. And then Minton says, I was the guy. I was the one that ratted out your team. And that's where Castillo just basically grabs him by the throat, he lays him out on him. him. He, he lays him on him. What's that? He went butthead on him. Yes, he did. And then he, he lays him out on the table, and that's where Crockentub's got to break him up. And then he asks where my Ying is, and he's told she's basically in Miami. Menton says that he does not have to give up Lee as, Lee's not hiding from you. You're no longer a threat to anybody. And then, he's, Nobody, he, pretty much. and then he goes behind him and he writes on a board Lee's number. He says, go ahead. Call him. Menton leaves, you know, no charges pressed against him. And now we're outside of OCB. Crockett uh, pretty much asks about the ambush that Castillo was involved in. Castillo says he set up an ambush to nab Lee's opium uh, movement, but they were ambushed themselves. Marty was wounded and a colleague died in his arms. And then Marty was told that his wife was killed. And that was five years ago. Crockett says that it's nuts that one agency gave up another one. And then Castillo replies with our trivia question. I'm not going to give it away. You've got to look for it. They keep moving along here. Obviously, we're assuming that Castillo gave uh, Lao Li a phone call here. Now we're pretty much along the river. Castillo's meeting with Lee in his white limo. Crockett and Tubbs are within distance. So are Lee's other bodyguards. Marty, in no uncertain terms, tells Lee to get out of Miami. But Lee says he's here. He's retired. He's staying here. He's setting up shop, you know, so to speak, not necessarily for drugs, but, you know, he's he's got his hands in other legitimate businesses. He's setting up shop here. Uh, he did very well in the commodities business and equates opium to any other commodity like food, clothing, so that, et cetera. So that's what you call it, huh? Pretty much anything that has a demand, that's what he's going to be involved in. So, And he pretty much becomes condescending to Marty. And it says that Marty's uh, Castillo's narrow moralistic perspective will always keep him a local cop. Unlike himself, who pretty much has trust accounts all over the world and is protected by another federal agency. Marty, Mr. Castillo, you're just a cop. And here I am, this high, big fluting guy. He's here to become an honest citizen. And then Marty asks, where is my ying? And Lee gives him an address and says that she doesn't know that Marty's even existing here in Miami, let alone anywhere else. Marty accuses um, Lao Li of bringing here to be a hostage. And Lee says he brought her here out of benevolence. And Castillo retorts that it was to keep him at bay from Lee. Where's Mei Ying? You'll find her at that address. Does she know I'm here? No. You brought her here to use as a hostage. I brought her here out of benevolence. So that I wouldn't come for you, out of fear you'd harm her. I intend harm to no one, 
It is against the law. I don't believe you. What you believe and don't believe is your problem, isn't it? And he uses that word benevolence several times throughout this mm-hmm. episode. So now we move on and we're at Lao Li's home where he meets with his family and crew and he cautions them about Castillo looking to make problems for them. He says, you know, you got to basically they got to stay above board, comply with all laws as eventually because he knows he's going to get be getting tailed. They're going to have eyes on everybody. And he said, we do nothing. Eventually, this Castillo is going to lose interest in him. But in the background, you got these two young punks who are scoffing at this idea without saying anything. And we later learn that those are his grandsons. And then we shift now to Mai Ying's home. Castillo goes there. You know, when she opens the door, they look at each other. And then they hug each other after. And kind of like a, almost like a loving embrace. Yeah, I was just definitely, say, this definitely. Is than, this is more than just a cordial greeting, for sure. Right, it was. They definitely cared deeply for each other. Uh, and then you know, Castillo said that he would have never left Thailand if he knew she was alive. And then at that point, a child runs into the room, and Mai tells Marty that that's her son, and that she is married. And she said that after time. She started living again and is definitely in love with her husband. And then Marty said to her, you know, I found you only to lose you again. Is that when you married? His name is Masek. Do you love him? Yes. I found you only to lose you all over again. But I'm glad you're happy. We would be happy too, Martin. Why Miami? A textile company offered him a job. If we come right away. I loved you. I truly loved you. And she tells Marty that the reason she's in Miami is that a textile company offered her husband immediate position, but you know, he had to leave now. She did confess that she loved Marty. He tells her his life is fine when she asked him. And then when he comes out of the house, you know, Cock and Tubbs ask him, How are you doing? He says, I'm fine. And he just says, you know, she's married now. You could tell the heartstrings are still pulling there for, I guess, both of them. But, you know, what if five years ago, whatever, they're moving on. So they're just going to let that be. So now we're moving forward here. We're out. Uh, we're in a Thai restaurant. Uh, Lee's grandsons meet with owner Howie Wong to set up a deal to sell pure China white. Uh, this is a very, very, very short scene here. Not even a minute, I don't believe. And now we're back to at OCB here. Uh, Castillo's pretty much telling the team that Mai Ying was brought here by Lee to block to block Castillo from going after him as he would kill her in a heartbeat. Kind of like a blocker in football. You know, uh, Lao Lee's going to do his stuff. He knows that Castillo has, you know, love interest in Mai Ying, so he's going to throw her in front of him. Uh, he tells the OCB crew to tail all the family members and run records on anyone they come in contact with, no matter who it is. Crockett asks about Mai Ying's safety if they do the surveillance, and Castillo says, I will take care of that. So then we got the surveillance is on. Gina and Trudy, they tail Lee's nieces who are shopping at high-end stores. Zito and Switek, they watch Lee's house from a speedboat. And then now we, we're back at uh, Lee's home, and this is where... Dale Menton meets with Lee and tells him that Castillo's running an extensive surveillance, but there is nothing to find with a quiet family. But he did express concern that the nieces are shopping at the high-end stores 
which are fronts for money laundering operations. And he asked Lee to tell him to cool it, you know, because basically you're you're just tossing money around like it's rainwater that's going to bring attention to yourself. This is kind of like the scene in, uh, what is it? Is it Goodfellas? After the uh, the heist, the airline heist, and then the dude buys a fur coat for his wife, the one dude buys a Cadillac. Yes, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. Take it back. What are you? You stupid? You stupid? You stu- exactly. They don't call attention to yourself. Exactly. And then Menton goes outside then as he's leaving, and he finds the two grandsons putting in some obnoxious loud horn into their Lamborghini, and he tells him, remove that horn so you're, you don't want to attract attention. And once again, they just scoff at Sage Advice. As Menton's leaving, they blow this, blow this horn. And, you typical know, Menton's young just, punks. Typically young punks. And, and Menton's just, you know, he's shaking his head. But he, he's in the business of being covert, and they mm-hmm. weren't doing that. So now we see OCB Vice Team. They're at a restaurant enjoying their dinner here, going over how they want to go about this. Uh, the team... They inform Castillo they're having nothing on the family so far. They're just being quiet, general citizens, nothing nothing big on the radar. He says, give another 24 hours, and then uh, he's going to release his team back to their previous assignments. Um, after that, Castillo's going to handle Lee himself by taking a leave of absence. Crockett, he already knows what's going up. He could definitely, his spidey senses are up. He's concerned it's uh, vigilante time. I can't justify spending everybody's time on Lowley's case like this. Yeah, however long it takes, Lieutenant. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. We'll give it another 24 hours. If nothing comes up, the ladies will go back to Coslo Bronco case. Gentlemen, you're back on Lombard and his bookies. What about General Lowley? I'll handle Lowley myself. Are we uh, talking vigilante time here, Lieutenant? You got a career and a life here. And the time I've spent here, I think people know me better than that. I have a thousand reasons to play OK Corral with Lowley and Men. But I'm a policeman. I enforce the law. Equally applied in all special cases. Castillo says pretty much he's a cop who enforces the law equally, and that's who he is, not a vigilante. So now our friend comes back, we're at a strip club. Who's our friend? Tim? Gene and Trudy find Nuga, Neverly Lamont. And then they they just really start pressing him on any noise about any opium deal going down in Miami. No, he says he doesn't know, but <laughs> again, Gene and Trudy are doing the verbal slap with him. You know, they press him and he says, he'll get the lowdown. Uh, if there's anything out there, he'll get the lowdown on where the dope is being moved. And then we jump to a scene with the Bug Busters uh, van pulling up with Zio and Switek doing their their shtick and they're annoying the the car hop, uh, the the chick with their Bug Buster glasses on and things like that. But in reality, what they were there for, besides ordering burgers, is that they met Noogie there, and he tells them the deal is going down, and that the source is restaurateur Howie Wong. Basically, he tells him. Lee's grandsons are going into business for themselves. At this point, the Noog man struck gold. Yabba dabba do you. Love to suck it to you. Now you keep in touch, baby. Hey, but ain't Yogi and Boo Boo. Come to fill their picnic basket. I've been checking all the channels for you fellas. What have y'all been on? Station break? 
Everybody's on the street, uh, Nuggie. We got a real urgent situation. Yeah, some other time, huh, Mark? Hey, man, don't boogie on the Nuggie. Hear the news before you cruise, you know? Street's been humming about a flood that's coming. China white at a price that's right. China white? From where? Oh, oh, man, all of a sudden I'm too weak to speak. But of course, if you turn me on to some calories, I'll see if I can get behind some conversation. I think this is the biggest corniest scene in the world. Okay, yes, it's a bug because monster it truck, but they these these two knuckleheads they're wearing what are these bug glasses and mm -hmm. those bouncy ears or something like that. But that was the debut of the bug busters yep. van, which comes back in several episodes. And, and didn't they have a, a horn, a goofy horn, just like the the grandsons here? Yeah, I, I yes, I believe so. Boing oing oing or something like yes. that. Yes, boing oing oing. <laughs> I mean, Jesus, the corn the, the corniness of these two. All right, so now we're at uh, Howie Wong's restaurant. Uh, Howie is sampling some of the heroin that the grandsons bring him, and they set up a delivery of the full product to be uh, at a later time. And the grandsons peel out of there in their Lamborghini, blowing that lame-ass annoying horn as Zito and Switek are keeping a watchful eye. So Zito and Switek, they decide to go into the restaurant after the grandsons leave and ask for and bust Howie and take him into OCB. Well, one of the things that I'm, I, I was wondering, when they were putting surveillance on that restaurant, how did they know, did, were they recording what was going on in there? To know uh, that there was a that they were doing this sampling of the heroin. I don't think so. I think they were just watching them. I think and, they were just watching them. I mean, I mean and, obviously, if these two kids are, you know, with the information they got from Noogie, and then you know, with these two kids showing up, and okay. what was the charges for Howie then? <laughs> right now, we're back at OCB and Crockett and Tubbs roll in as Zito and Switek are booking Howie, and Crockett says, "I know him. You know, I busted him in a prior counterfeiting rap." And then, you know, pressing him. And once he knew that, Castillo said, all right, let's take him in another room. And in there, Howie is convinced to roll over and give details on the delivery of the heroin. Later on, Castillo briefs the entire OCB team that the dope deal is going to be going down at Howie's restaurant at 2 o'clock in the morning. And that's where they start making their plans. And he says, you do this, you do this. But basically, he wanted all sides and exits covered on that building when they make the bust. So then now it's 2 a.m. and OCB has got that watch on Howie's restaurant and up pulls a delivery van and two thugs go into the restaurant. So we know the deal is on. So OCB moves into position and finds that the back door to the kitchen is open. I believe it was Tubbs that said that. Inside the kitchen, money and dope are exchanged. Vice moves in, and the grandsons are taken into custody. One of them tries to run out the front door, didn't he? Yes, they the did. All squad cars pull up there. Yep. Castillo, you know, they, they get busted. Castillo has this determined look on his face at the end of this scene. Oh, yes, that's right. One of them came out the front, and then Tubbs, bite the asphalt. All right, so we're at the Lee home, Lao Lee's home. Castillo shows up. And he pretty much rubs it in his face that his grandsons were busted for trying to move 50 keys of heroin. Lee is miffed that Castillo came there just to tell him that. And Marty says, I, don't, I can't do it, Tim. You could do that. I thought you, want, I thought you wanted to know. You'd want to know. Your two grandsons have been arrested. 
They were apprehended in the act of trying to sell 50 kilos of heroin. This is the reason you came here to tell me this? I thought you'd want to know. And pretty much the same night, we move along to the Menton crib here, Menton's house. Crack and tubs show up. I don't know how they get in, but the door's propped open, I guess. So they're just kind of rooting around his front room there. And then they hear some action in the back, some giggling and stuff. Uh, obviously, he's about to get it out with some ladies. And I believe they they push some button that oh, yeah, it, the door it open up the door. Yeah, the door opens up. That's right. So they pretty much rub it in that the grandsons were uh, were popped in a dope deal. And they go on to tell him that he will be connected uh, to these two clowns and will have all his assets pretty much taken away from uh, from the ill-gotten gains, basically the RICO statutes and all this stuff. Uh, basically, they're going to leave him homeless. And he knows, you can tell by the look on his face, he knows he's he screwed the pooch. Yep, sure is. So now we move on to... Mai Ying's home once again, and this is where Castile actually meets her husband. And he asks Mai Ying's husband if he knows who Lao Li is, and he you know, says, I don't know anybody like that. Uh, and then he tells him that the consolidated textile company for who he was hired is owned by Li through a shell corporation. He tells him that he was brought to Miami solely to be a hostage. This was more of like a passive hostage, just by the mere fact that he he's with an arm's length of Mai Ying and her husband, mm-hmm. it would be enough to keep Marty at bay. And that's, you know, the husband asks, why is it that this guy would do that? And he says, because he knows how much I care for your wife, is what he said. You know a man named Lao Li? No. Isn't he someone you worked against years ago? Yes. You were offered a job and brought here by Consolidated Textiles, a subsidiary of the Asian Trading Corporation, a Panamanian company run by Lao Li. What you don't know is that you were brought here to be a hostage. We've seen no man. No threats have been made. He's better than that. He knows that I know that he can reach out and kill you anytime he wants, here or out of the country. And he can. So your physical presence is enough. But why does he think a threat to us will keep him safe from you? Because he knows how much I care for your wife. Uh, and then I remember the husband, he just gave this nod of affirmation. A protection detail is set up and they are told to do exactly what the detail asks of them. The husband asks what it's going to be done about Lolly and, and Marty tells him, I can't tell you that. So now we're at OCB and a felony review DA says she can get a no bail motion for her grandsons, pretty much uh, locking them up until the trial. And Castillo says, don't do it. Uh, confused DA and as well as Sonny says, putting them back on the street. And he replies, it's Castillo says, yeah, that's exactly where he wants them. I'm thinking before you actually move forward, I'm thinking, does Castillo know that these two would be uh, would be disposed of at the behest of grandpa? Uh, we will see. Uh, right. And and I, I think he's, it's just to push Lowley's, he knows him well that he's not going to leave behind any messes. Exactly. So we're moving on to the Lee home after these two punks are uh, released. They're taken on a ride by two operatives of Lee. 
Uh, and then we see the vice team uh, tailing them. Underneath this, they've got some great music playing, great music from Jan Hammer. And then we roll up to the warehouse here. Um, the boys are brought into the warehouse and they find Lee sitting at the end uh, in between of all some products here and an entourage surrounding him, including Menton. They're all waiting for him. Lee rebukes his grandsons for not obeying his orders to lay low. And he, Castillo says that uh, Castillo is going to make them roll and connect everything back to Lee. One grand says, one grandson says they're not going to talk, but that the other one says, you know, lashes back at him pretty much. And it says, you know, who, who are you to preach when he's made? Oh man. Right. I'm old old man. man. Right. You made your fortune with the dope trade. And now he says, you know, it's our generation's time to carry on the business. So this really ruffles the feathers of Lee, obviously, at the lack of respect, and he orders them to be killed, and he starts walking away. You have threatened the security of everything we have here. Why? This has nothing to do with you. They can make you say that I am involved, that you were working for me. We won't talk, Grandfather. You have compromised me. You have compromised the whole security of this family. What do you have to say? Hey, OG. Who the hell are you to preach to us, old man? You made your fortune. You built your dynasty. It's our generation's turn. Why can't we create our own? Huh? Tell me. You speak to me this way? You are rebellious because you've broken your filial obligations to me. Therefore, my paternal benevolence towards you ends right now. Take them. Kill them. So now two, you know, a couple of henchmen are starting to strangle these two. And then obviously Vice is listening on tape and they all move in. A uh, little gunfight ensues here. Crockett and Tubbs, you know, Crockett shoots uh, and injures Mentons. And all are pretty much taken into custody. Uh, Menton tells Castillo that he broke the law. And then Marty responds by saying that this is Miami, not Asia. Not Asia. Right, the last section here is that Castillo now gets the face off with Lee and he places him under arrest for attempted murder of grandsons, felonious assault, and whatever else they were going to throw on him. Lee applauds Castillo for knowing him well and what he might do. And then he says he hopes that their relationship will continue. And Marty asks, the adversarial part? You knew I would go to any length to not break the law. Including attempting to commit murder. Old enemies come to know one another very well over the years. And there comes regard, even for an adversary. Really? Yes. Maybe our relationship will continue. The adversarial part? Lee gets in his squad car and just stares at Castile as he's being taken off. And then we come to the final scene where Castillo sees Maying and her husband off at the airport. Maying says nothing, but her husband does offer Marty good fortune. You know, she does take that one last look backwards before getting on a plane. And then Marty watches him take off. You know, he gets into Tubbs Caddy and Crockett offers to take him. And we notice Bar and the keys. And Castillo says, in all the time that you've ever known him, has he ever asked for a drink? Crockett said, nope. And then Marty says, 
Take me to a bar. Take me to a bar. Let's briefly go over the ratings. IMDB gives this episode an 8.1 out of 10. That's that's pretty outstanding that it made a rebound from uh, the last several episodes by getting a high mark like this. Mark, what's your review? Just like the last episode, part one of this, a great thumbs up. Going back, a great dive into the life and the past of Castillo, something we've never seen before. Many pieces finally come together. Castillo, you know, has that closure, I guess you could say, in the chapter uh, and that part of his life without getting anyone killed, you know, more or less. Great episode, just like the last one. Liked it. This one had more action, though. Definitely more action. Yes, it it was moving really quick, too. Uh, You know, and I also gave it a big thumbs up. It was an awesome conclusion to these two parts. And like part one, this episode is really all about Castillo and his other side, or if you want to call it that shadow side of himself. The series creators finally did a deep dive into this enigmatic character who we find out has a personal history that was kept hidden from his colleagues until the investigation deepened. You know, I love the figurative game of chess that he also played with Lao Li, and we also found out that he had an emotional side as evidenced by his feelings he still had for Mai Ying. Okay, we've come to the part of the show where we hope to inspire or enlighten. We've officially named this Nerd's Chalkboard of Wisdom. In both the world of Mammy Vice and our current world at large, we encounter many challenges we work to overcome. In the interest of creating a family-friendly atmosphere through the show and our social media, we'd like to offer some parting thoughts. A simple quote, phrase, or words of encouragement, or a funny quip to you, our listeners. Because without you, our friends, we'd just be talking to ourselves. And we say friends because that's what we consider all of you who follow our shows and social media. This show's words of wisdom are from Lao Tzu. They are, Be content with what you have. Rejoice in the way things are. When you realize there's nothing lacking, the whole world belongs to you. And with that, we'd like to bring this episode of the Vice of Miami podcast to a close. Mark and I appreciate each and every one of you listening, especially the following people who have liked, commented, or shared our posts. Apologies if we missed anyone. New likes, shares, and comments on Facebook. Marion Maria S. Elaine B. Flips. Jeffrey R. And on Instagram, we have Dico's Dimpos 15 Nick Orwath. Maleki Lee. Mary Corkion. Maria. Chuck Finley 5280. And Freck Chris. We hope you enjoy what we have to offer in our shows. Please spread the word about us and comment and rate us on all your podcast platforms. We will see you next time for Vice of Mammy show number 16, where we discuss season one, episode 15, Smuggler's Blues. This is going to be a good one. Good one with Glenn Fry. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Vice of Miami Podcast. Or email us at viceofmiamishow at gmail.com. Please rate us and comment on the episodes and spread the word about the show. On YouTube, press the like button and hit the subscribe bell.